Chats from the Blog Cabin. Your favorite podcast is here. Welcome back to another episode of Chats from the Blog Cabin. Today, I'm being joined by David Stone. And David, before we talk about what you're going to talk about, which is how to overcome fear, anxiety, worry, and self-doubt, which I think everybody in America and everybody in the world actually goes <laughs> through, mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about who you are. Who am I? Well, I am a uh, Medicare-eligible teenager. And... Um, I uh, I had a long career. I, I actually, as we're speaking, uh, next week I turned 67, so I'm just ramping up for my second 40-year career. And I um, had a long career. I started as an architect a long time ago, and then I switched to become doing marketing uh, in the design and construction industry. But then, as I was approaching conventional retirement age. I thought, hmm, what do I want to be when I grow up? And uh, I thought, and I thought, and I thought, and I thought, what does the world need? And the answer came to me was, the world needs to stop being so afraid of everything. And I said, hey, I know how to do that, because I had learned how to do that. And I said, I want to share that. So that's how I started I Fearless and wrote the book and sitting here talking to you about that. Yeah, I'm telling you, um, you, I love the way you said you were a teenager, a Medicaid-eligible teenager. I love that. But I also love the way you talked about you weren't afraid to change your careers. Like you were an architect, then you you switched to do something else. Why did you decide mm-hmm. to do that? Well, I realized very early in my career, uh, you know, maybe 10 years into it, I suppose. I, I don't know how early that is. But anyway, I, I realized that I was an, a perfectly adequate architect. <laughs> and <laughs> there was lots and lots of those. And yeah, I could design my way out of a bag, but only just. And uh, and and I didn't love it. I didn't love it the way I thought I was going to. And I said, I'm not going to spend, you know, 40 years doing something I don't love. And so, but in the process, I had found that I was really... A, really had a knack for and was really enjoyed marketing those services. So I thought, ah, well, then these people, you know, they in professional school, whether you're a doctor, mm-hmm. a lawyer, an accountant, or an architect, or an engineer, they never teach you anything about marketing or how to sell your services. So it was really needed. And I had a lot of fun doing it. So let's talk about your journey to becoming an author and starting the website. Mm-hmm. Was there a light bulb moment that you were like, I'm going to do this and this is the reason why I'm doing it? Or was it just a gradual? No, there was there were two light bulb moments. Uh, and one, we have to go back uh, to 2009 uh, because I was at that time I was working. I was in the thick of my career as a marketing consultant and I was working uh, around the world, literally, I would cli- I had clients that had me go circle the globe for them, and I was working in every state in this country. And I'm a Canadian originally. You'll probably pick that up in my uh, in my accent. But uh, I had worked throughout Canada, throughout the U.S., and in Australia and, and uh, Middle East, all over the place. Anyway, but from my childhood, I had always struggled with anxiety about money. Uh, I grew up in a family that while we technically weren't poor, the ratio of kids to income was disproportionate. And uh, there was always a bit of a struggle. And I grew up watching my parents sit around the kitchen table uh, once a month and they all the bills would be stacked mm-hmm. up. How are we going to do this? And, there, and what I learned and came to believe was that... Um, The only way that you would become affluent or wealthy or anything was if you were either lucky or crooked. Those were the only two paths to wealth. (laughs) And so I carried that with me. And and I was 55 years old, and I was making a very healthy six figures, but I still believed deep in my heart that I struggled. And, of course, you attract these things to you. You know, your beliefs become your life. Mm -hmm. And in August of 2009, I worried myself into homelessness. Mm -hmm. I was literally living in my car. 
Now, simultaneously, I'm still visiting my clients and seeing them and getting paid very well, but it doesn't take you. You could be making $10 million a year, but if you were spending 10 million and one, <laughs> that's where you'd end up. And so you, you sort of self-sabotage and that's what I did. And I realized that it was worry and anxiety and fear that had got me there. And so I had my aha moment was literally one morning and this was, and I would pull, pull my car into a, a truck stop on the side of the highway every night and, and pull the pillow out of the back seat and wrap my leg around the gear shift and go to sleep. But I remember very clearly waking up one morning and thinking, okay, that's it. I, and I was really, excuse me, but pissed off. And uh, I, you know, I said, come on, David, you're a smart guy. You got two university degrees. You're better than this. And I realized uh, I, I went through a brief thing of, all right, who should I blame for this? Whose fault mm -hmm. is this? And that's always tempting to do. And so I looked around and looked around. And the more I looked around, the more I realized there was one and only one person present for everything that had led up mm -hmm. to this. And he was the guy in the mirror. So I said, all right, it doesn't help to blame anybody else. It doesn't help to complain because it doesn't change the situation. I'm going to do something about this. And so I set out to, and I set out to uh, figure out how I had got myself there and reach the conclusion that it was all in my head, everything, because mm -hmm. it's, where, it's where you live and you create your reality with your thoughts. And so I spent uh, several years studying. Oh, man, I read hundreds and hundreds of books. And I learned all about the nature of anxiety and worry and fear and started to get much more fine-grained about it and how it works in your life and what roles it plays and how we come to that. And I reached the conclusion that anxiety and worry, as much as everybody tells you that it's just part of life and you have to, you know, it's, you just learn to deal with it, I, realized, I learned that it's not. It is not just an accident of life. And worry and anxiety are in fact mental habits, mental mm -hmm. choices that we've made so often that they've just become habits. And mm -hmm. as with any habit, it drops below your level of conscious awareness. So we just do it and never think anything. And nobody ever questions, really? Do I need mm -hmm. to do this? Well, I did question it and discovered that I didn't need to. And then I taught myself to stop. And then about five years later, as I said, I was approaching conventional retirement age. And I said, I don't want to retire, but I'm kind of tired of doing this. What do I want to be when I grow up? And that's when I asked that question, what does the world need? And the, I said, I know how to tell, help people stop being afraid of everything. So that's, that's when I got into it. So those were really the two pivotal moments and they were spaced out by about 10 years. But uh, the one got me started down this road mm -hmm. and trained myself. And now I'm just passing on what I've learned. So why do you think anxiety, you hear like the buzzword right now is anxiety, anxiety, anxiety. Why do you think it's so sure. prevalent right now in society? You think we're more conscious of it or we're not afraid to talk about it? Well, I think that there's a couple. I, I think that those are two definite um, uh, factors in it. But I also think that we are being presented with more things to that we're told we're supposed to be anxious about and we're mm -hmm. told we're supposed to worry about. I have found that since 9-11, the entire world has become much more fearful and anxious. And the news media loves it <laughs> because it sells eyeball, it sells screen time to eyeballs and they ramp it up. And they just they crank it like crazy. And now it's you can't walk through an airport without, you know, the TV blaring CNN or Fox or whatever saying, this is what you need to know right now. Mm -hmm. ah! <laughs> and and then I, oh, what do I need to know right now? Breaking news. And it turns out that what I need to know right now is there's a cyclone on the opposite side of the opposite side of the planet. Mm -hmm. Why do yeah. I need to know that right now? But it has gotten my blood pressure up and it's gotten me all revved up. And not only that, they're telling me that you're supposed to worry about this. They're telling me, and I'm being told. And everybody around me says, oh, I'd worry about that if I were you. We were taught from childhood to worry. Everybody does it. You know, worry, worry and anxiety 
are normal for sure. But normal does not mean required or necessary or natural even. You know, uh, underfunded schools are normal. Uh, racial profiling is normal, but it is not something that, but we're working really hard to get rid of those things. Anxiety is normal, but it's not something that you need to have or need to hang around. And so, but since childhood, we, you know, when we were little, oh, you know, don't talk to strangers, uh, stranger mm -hmm. danger, don't, don't eat that, you know, don't touch that, you'll, you'll get germs. And so we were taught to be afraid. And if you were taught, you know, when you're six years old, walking home from school by yourself or seven years old, not talking to strangers is really good advice. But by the time you're 36 or 56, if you're still, not, you know, can't talk to have a, a normal conversation with somebody you've never met, well, that's getting out of hand. And so we need to learn to monitor our own anxiety. And, and so that's why I think it's come up. You know, a lot of things have happened. Yes, 9-11 happened. Now we've got COVID. We've seen all kinds of nasty things. But the interesting thing is there are no more nasty things going on in the world today than there ever have been. Mm -hmm. It's just that we're kept informed about them all the time. And in fact, there are far more really amazing, great things going on in the world today than ever before. But that doesn't sell screen time on the news networks. Yeah. Do you think social media plays a part in it too, as well as oh, oh, yeah. everybody's getting the picture perfect life and not showing their struggles? I, absolutely. I think there's two sides of it. One is we're seeing that picture perfect life, as you call it, which is a very good term for it, because uh, we all put our best face forward. But the other thing that that happens and social media does is we all love to give in to that temptation to blame and complain. Mm -hmm. And so that's a great outlet for it. You know, oh, it's this fault. It's their fault. It's their fault. No, it's the Democrats fault. No, it's the Republicans fault. No, you know, and, and mm -hmm. let's all just pile on each other and point fingers. And then it moves further away now. But here's the thing about blaming and complaining is I mean, I go back to my experience in the car in 2009. If I had discovered um, that it was, you know, I, it was very tempting. It's the government's fault. It's mm -hmm. the economy's fault. It's my boss's or my client's fault. You know? But it, as long as I'm doing that, then I am powerless to change it. Because let's say it's your fault. You know, nah, I'm pointing my finger at you. It's your fault. Mm -hmm. Well, until you decide that, okay, for David's sake, I'll change whatever I'm doing, then I'm stuck and I can't do anything to change my situation. But if, like, for example, COVID, you know, you didn't start it. I didn't start it. Probably nobody that we can point to, you know, said, said I think I'm going to release a pandemic on the world. That would be a fun thing to do this morning. <laughs> Um, nobody did that. But as long as we're continuing to point fingers and look for somebody to blame, we're stuck. And so I say, all right, I didn't start it, but here it is. So what am I going to do? How am I going to respond? Who do I want to show up as in this situation? Do I want to show up as somebody who is constantly, you know, bemoaning my circumstances and, oh, it's terrible and, oh, uh, or do I want to show up as somebody that says, yeah, yeah, there's some nasty stuff going on, but gosh, I'm too busy to, you know, I've got things that I need mm -hmm. to do. And I, it feels better to be upbeat. So basically it's a choice that we make in our own mind and our own thoughts of how we want to think about things. That is exactly right. Because I can, under any given circumstance, I have a choice as to how I respond to that. I cannot control the circumstances, but I can control how I react to them. I can't control the weather, you know, and I planned a picnic for today and now it's raining. Mm -hmm. yeah. you know, okay, let's have an indoor picnic instead, rather than whine and moan about my picnic's ruined. So let's talk about iFearless. When people sure. come to your website, what will they get from that website, from the website? All right. Um, well, there's a, there's a number of different things. First of all, 
the first thing you'll be do you'll be invited to do is to join a Facebook group that I have called the Fearless Living and Growth Society. It's a free Facebook group, and um, and there what we do our our purpose in the Facebook group and it's growing fast is to help people stop worrying. That's it. That's the one purpose. Is it to show you that number one, it's possible to stop worrying. And help you because most people say uh -huh, I, I can't stop worrying it's just who I am uh, so number one to show you that it's possible number two to give you the techniques that you can use to stop to remove anxiety from your own life and then number three to show you the habits that you can start uh, start replacing it because as I said uh, worry and anxiety are mental habits and like any habit, you can you can get rid of it, but only by replacing it with something else. Mm -hmm. If you don't, it'll just come right back there. So we show you the new habits that you can replace. So that's the first thing that your website the website invites you to join. After that, um, it talks to you about a number of um, online courses that we have. Uh, I do some personal coaching with people to help them overcome uh, their own worries and anxieties, the specifics, because everybody has their own favorite go-to things. You know, for some people, like myself, it was finances. For some people, it might be health. Some, it's relationships. Oh, there's no end of things that we love to worry about. But it doesn't matter what it is. I can show you, and we can show you through the website and through the Facebook group, uh, how to just let those things go. It'll also introduce you to, and let me just reach over here, a couple of books I wrote. This is the one, the first one I wrote. It's called Unsubscribe, there we go. Unsubscribe from Anxiety, How to Opt Out of the Myth that Worry is Required and Take Charge of Your Own Life Now. And basically the title comes from that fact that it is literally as easy. You know, we all get unwanted mm -hmm. email into our, uh, in, all the time. And you say, I'm tired of that. So what do you do? Hit the unsubscribe button. No problem. We get thoughts in our head all the time. And here's, the th here's one of the things that I find interesting. Our minds are one of the tools, one of the resources that we've been blessed with, born with, that we use to get through our, our life. Um, just like our hands, you know, you're, I was given a hand and I learned how to use that hand. And I send a command to the hand and I say, please reach out and grab this pencil. And my hand obediently does but it's mm -hmm. told. My mind, though, I say, I'd like you to think about pleasant thoughts. And my mind says, no, I want to think of worrisome thoughts. And then it does it. And we believe that the mind does it. Imagine if I said to the my hand, I'd like you to pick up that pencil, please. And my hand said, no, I think I'd rather slap you in the face. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how long would we put up with that? And, and yet we, we tolerate it with our minds. We, we somehow seem to accept that it's okay for our mind to do whatever we, it wants, but we don't accept that from our, if our other body parts, if our other body parts start misbehaving, we go to the doctor and say, hey, mm -hmm. this, this is, this is unacceptable, but somehow it's acceptable in our minds. So we can teach ourselves to control our minds, to change those thoughts and to unsubscribe from anxiety. So those are the things that you find on the website. Uh, just a whole bunch of, there's, there's a, the blog is there where you can read about um, all kinds of blog entries on different topics. Uh, all the, I, I do not yet have my own podcast, but I'm just so blessed and, and excited to be invited uh, like with you here today. Uh, and I put the recordings uh, and all the links there also on the website. So there's all kinds of resources that people can go to. The final thing that I want to say to your listeners is that if they want to go to the website and if they want to get in touch with me directly, I would be thrilled to death. I would just always, I'm, there's never somebody that wants that says, I'd like to talk to you that I don't immediately say, sure, let's get on a call on Tuesday or whatever. Mm -hmm. I return all emails, I return all phone calls, all messages, because this is the mission I'm on now, because it, it sucks to worry. It's It feels horrible. 
So you talked about new habits to replace some mm -hmm. of your thinking. So let's talk about some of the habits that we can. Sure. Do. Absolutely. There are three major habits that uh, we want to cultivate to begin replacing the anxiety habit. And the first one is gratitude. And when you begin making a habit, a mental habit of gratitude, and you start by every morning, this is the beginnings of it. every morning you wake up and before you even get out of bed, lie there and just think of five things in your life that you're grateful for. And not, uh, you know, the, the easy stuff is too easy. You know, my family, I'm grateful for my family. I'm grateful for the food I eat. And those are good things. But I want you to get specific, be a little more creative. I am really grateful for this pillow that's been under my head for the last seven or eight hours. It's so comfortable. I'm so grateful for the cup of coffee that's waiting for me when I get up. I'm so grateful for the sun that's peeking through the blinds in my bedroom here. So be creative. Make sure that don't just keep going to the old ones. Mm -hmm. I have uh, right here every day, every morning when I sit down at my desk, I have this gratitude journal and I have to write and write a page every day of things that I'm grateful for. So we develop this habit because it's so easy to see the things that are going wrong. Mm -hmm. It's so easy to, to have those things pile up um, and focus on those. And so we're training our mind to see the things that are going right because there are far more things that are going right than are going wrong. And so that's a new habit. And you start out first thing in the morning doing that, and then it, you gradually build it up, and then you add noontime. What are you grateful for now that it's lunchtime? Dinner, before you go to bed. I'm at the point now where probably every 10 minutes, my mind, I just think, I mean, like right now, you and I here talking, you know what I'm grateful for? I'm grateful for Steve Jobs because I've got my little MacBook Air here that, you know, and, mm -hmm. and Apple, and it allows me to talk to you and you're, you know, probably seven or 800 miles away and to all your listeners. I, I'm so grateful for that. So you develop that habit. So that's the first habit is gratitude. The second habit is what I call replace it with purpose. Now, what do we mean by that? I believe very strongly that every single one of us was put here on the earth for a reason. And there's a great old saying, I don't know who said it, but uh, it says, um, the two most important days of your life are number one, the day you're born, and number two, the day you figure out why. <laughs> oh, why? I love that. Isn't that great? Why were you born? What were you put here to do? And we weren't put here just to, you know, go to work, pay the mortgage, eat dinner, drink a beer, watch TV, go to bed, repeat. Uh, we were put here for, you know, to, to accomplish something. And for some people, I mentioned Steve Jobs, you know, some people have missions and purposes that are earth shaking and, and world changing. The most of us though, it's far more modest, but that doesn't matter. I remember, I'll tell you a really quick story. Um, one of my wife had uh, an aunt. She passed away a couple of years ago at the age of 99. Isn't that great? Wow. But she, for her last 10 years of her life, would knit. And she would knit the little, you know, the little bonnets and booties that they put on preemie babies in mm -hmm. the hospital and the pediatric wards. She would crank these things out by the dozen and then just give them to the hospitals. And she was living there in her elder care home and she was just thrilled. And you'd see the glow on her face when she'd be doing these things. And she'd have little cards pinned up on her bulletin board from nurses that would send her thank you notes for sending these things. That's what she would do every day. She, this is why she got up in the morning. And you know, did it cure cancer? Did it uh, you know, reverse climate change? No, it didn't matter, but boy, oh boy, did it make a difference for those little babies and those nurses. So when you and I wake up in the morning and have a reason to get out of bed and have something to do, there is no room for anxiety in your head because you're busy. It's when you're grateful. You cannot simultaneously hold an, an anxious thought and a grateful thought. It's impossible. Give it a try. Experiment. You can't do it. And so when we fill our mind with gratitude, when we fill our mind with purpose, then uh, the anxiety has nowhere to go. It just disappears. Now, the third habit 
is what I call instant action. Now, what this is, is that, uh, you know, there, we, there's a distinction, and it's important to get a little background here. Fear and anxiety and worry are a subset of fear. They're just sort of a, a different flavor of fear. Fear is actually a very useful biological response. So you're walking along the street, bah, 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 and singing away, and you want need to cross the street, and you step out in the street, and you happen to look, and ah, there's a bus coming. And, you know, and your body and your brain are really intelligently designed. And you see the bus, your brain registers and says, uh oh, danger. The red lights start flashing and your body is designed to respond. And it responds instantly because what happens? Adrenaline starts pumping into your system. Cortisol starts pumping into your system. Your heart rate goes up. Your breathing rate increases. You actually get stronger. Your, your reflexes speed up. And you jump out of the way of the bus and you live to tell about it later. And that's what fear is for. But the, the number of, you know, we've come a long way since the days of saber toothed tigers trying to eat you for breakfast. And so the number of uh, instances of what we'll call real and present danger in your life is very, very low. But your brain still, you know, it's, a million years old and your your body is a million years old and it still works on the same thing so your brain says it sees a threat only the threat it sees is uh oh my finance is in retirement <laughs> and or the or the threat it sees is oh my friend didn't like my facebook post right away okay mm -hmm. and it the brain sees that as a threat somehow i'm being threatened your body which is incredible, but actually kind of stupid. <laughs> it, <laughs> I love that. It, um, it responds. It says, oh, brain says danger. I know what to do. But there's nothing to do. There's no bus to jump out of the way of. There's, you know, and so these threats that we perceive are either more vague or far off in the distance. And we don't know exactly what to do about them. And so, and so we, we have, have this fear response, but it's kind of a low grade thing and it just keeps going. When the bus comes and you jump back onto the sidewalk, you're huh, after the bus has passed, you start your breathing goes back down and your heart rate goes back down. But as long as you've got chronic anxiety, it stays elevated. And that's when all kinds of nasty things start happening to your body and some really nasty illnesses can result. So what we want to do is distinguish between fear and anxiety and when i'm now now let's get back to this instant action thing so it's two o'clock in the morning and i'm lying there wide awake and i'm worrying what am i worrying i'm worrying about my finances or i'm worrying about my health and now i'm lying there and i can't get back to sleep and now i'm worrying about worrying and now i'm worrying about i'm not getting enough sleep and now i'm worrying that i won't be good at work tomorrow Stop trying to go back to sleep. Get up, you know, give up on that fight. Get up, go out to the living room or the kitchen, sit down at the table and do something in the next five minutes mm -hmm. that will actually take you a step closer to solving this problem. So if I'm worried about my finances, all right, two o'clock in the morning, go out, sit down, grab a piece of paper and make a budget for the next 30 days. Hmm. Or if you're worried about your health, go out, you know, go online and uh, make an appointment with your healthcare professional. You can do that at two o'clock in the morning these yeah, days. Yeah, you can. Yeah, or order yourself a, you know, a Peloton machine, yeah. <laughs> a bicycle. You can do that at two o'clock in the morning too. Because what you've done now is you have taken control of the anxiety instead of it controlling you. And that's what it's all about is changing this power structure. Because all along, the anxiety is controlling you and controlling your thoughts and telling you what you have to think about, telling you how bad it is. But as soon as you take this instant action, now you've changed the, the power structure and you're the one that's in charge. You're the one that's deciding what's going to do, what, what we're going to do and what we're not going to do. And that changes everything. So take five minutes, write out a budget, order, you know, go online, find, do something that addresses your problem. Then, before you go back to bed, write down three more things that you can do in the next 24 to 48 hours that will also help address this thing you're worried about. And then you can go back to sleep and you will sleep like a baby.
because you are now in control. It's no longer in control. You're in control. And you say, yeah, I did something about this. And you feel so much better about yourself. So those three habits, gratitude, replace it with purpose, and instant action, those three habits uh, will dramatically change you. Now, there are some other ones as well, a few other ones. Things like, you know, I stop watching the news. You know, <laughs> so many of us are addicted to the news. You know, we've got CNN or Fox on all the time. And we're just bombarded with this bad news. How else are you going to, um, you know, how else are you going to react when all, everything around you, all the incoming messages is danger, danger, danger. Mm-hmm. The other thing you can do is something I call quit the complaining club. You know, all, you know all those people. You, mm-hmm. We've all got them. You, you know, the first thing you say, oh, what a beautiful day. Yeah, but it's probably going to rain this afternoon. I don't need that in my life. So I want the people that are going to lift me up. Um, if I'm if I'm entertained, I like my wife and I love to watch movies, but I want the movies that make me feel good. I you know, I will ball my eyes out at a Pixar movie every day of the week. <laughs> and oh yeah, I'm a sucker for that because it makes me feel fantastic. I do not want I don't want to pay good money to so-called entertain myself. At the end of which, I just feel miserable or scared or down or depressed. Mm-hmm. No, thank you. Uh, don't want it. You know, and it's the same with the music that you listen to, the the books you read, the articles you read. I I seek out actively seek out stuff that makes me feel good, and lifts me up. And I've been accused of being Pollyanna, uh, and you know, and blinders on. Don't you realize how bad the world is? Well, actually, no. It, it's either I haven't realized, but it sure feels a whole lot better. Or haven't you realized how good the world actually is? There's the, the late, great Wayne, Dr. Wayne Dyer. I don't know if you're familiar with Wayne mm-hmm. Dyer. He was a, um, uh, a, one of the original self-help people and wrote many, many books. And he, he always said, when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. So I can yeah. look out. And you know, I can see, look out and see uh, see it raining, and I can say ruined picnic, or all right, the farmer's crops are going to be great. <laughs> so you know, it's, you're looking at the same thing, but I see two totally different aspects of it. In that That's same theory, I'm... it's like when you buy a car and you've never seen that car before, but then once you buy that car, now that seems like that's the only car you see on the on yes. the highway. It's that yes. same because you're more aware of it. There's actually science behind that, and it is, it's due to something in your brain. There's a little piece of your brain way back here, and it's called your reticular activating system. And what that does, what it's designed to do is to filter out all, I mean, we are constantly bombarded. The sensory input is just, it would make your head explode if you tried to do it all. And it, so it has to filter it out. And what it filters for, its job is to filter for things that you have told it is are important, important to you. So, uh, you know, if somebody in your family is, you know, you've heard about somebody's having a new baby. It's the same thing. All of a sudden you're seeing little babies, babies. carriages everywhere. It does It's not that they weren't there before. It's just your reticular activating system is screening now for that and bringing them to your attention. Now, here's the deal. If you are focused on the problems that you have, bad health, poor finances, bad relationships, guess what the reticular activating system is going to put in front of you? Because it's also, it's, it's very capable, but it also is kind of dumb. It, it can't tell between what I'm thinking about. It, it assumes that anything you're thinking about is important to you. And it'll bring it to you. It'll just put it right in front of your eyes. And so you see, look how bad the world is. Well, that's because all you think about is bad things. So that's what shows up. So, yeah, that's a really good example. Now, we're going to have to take a brief commercial break and then we'll be right back. Chats from the blog cabin. Enjoying this episode? Leave a review now. Chats from the blog cabin. 
hit subscribe and don't miss the next episode. Hi, my name is Joanna, and I would like to share with you a little bit about Shores of Grace, Shores Philly. It's a ministry located in Philadelphia. The portion of Shores that I volunteer for goes into Kensington, an area greatly impacted by homelessness and addiction. And we go and we take love, food, clothing, snacks, conversation. Um, we believe that it is a way that we can meet people right where they are and show them the love of Jesus. Uh, we have seen lives changed in big ways and in small ways, and we have built wonderful relationships with the people in the community. Uh, we have big plans, more we'd like to do, um, and we would appreciate any support, either through prayer or through donation. If you would like to donate, you can go to shoresofgrace.com, and in the menu, click on Donate, and we just ask that you put Philly in your donation comments. Thank you. And we are back chatting with David. Now, David, let's talk about your journey on writing your books because you have sure. how many books do you have? You have two, or do you have more? I, I have two. I have two books. Well, I in my marketing career, I, I lost track of how many books I've written. I think it was like fifteen or twenty or something like that. But I have two books here. It's the Unsubscribe from Anxiety that I showed you, and the second one here is called The Fearless Decision: How to Live in the World Without Being Afraid of It. And actually, if people want to go to, if, if anybody signs up for the Fearless uh, Living Growth Society for our face, free Facebook group, um, when you sign up for that, I will send you uh, a free e-copy, e-book copy of the Fearless Decision. So that I offer that to anybody that wants to join the Facebook group, because again, my mission is just show people that that kind of fear, the anxiety, just is not necessary. So let's talk about no. your journey to writing the books. Okay. Um, as I said, I've, I, I've written many books and I think there's a, uh, you know, I have a uh, hidden JK Rowling in me somewhere perhaps, but uh, uh, I love to write. I love to communicate. I love to express the ideas that I have. And I've written blogs for many, many years. And uh, I find books to be simply one of the best ways to communicate the ideas. And what happens, the process that I use for writing any given book is I get an idea for a book. And I'll think, okay, I'd like to talk about this topic. And then I just start collecting, you know, maybe an article here or there or some thoughts that I've had that I've jotted down. And I have a file and I just, Throw them all in the file and this might go on for six or seven months and uh and at a point it kind of reaches critical mass where <laughs> it's kind of ready to burst out and i think okay there's a there's a book there now and what and then i just take i go through all this material and i kind of sort it into piles which are loosely connected with chapters and i think well those two things go together and that kind of goes together and then i end up with you know maybe 15 or 20 piles and I think, what's the best order to show them in? And I kind of order them and then I pull it up and I sit down and start writing. And it usually takes me, I don't know, three weeks or so to take all that stuff and turn it into one. Interestingly enough, the, the unsubscribe from anxiety book, uh, I went through that process and this was in 2019 when I wrote it. And the, the three week period when it was uh, written, uh, my wife's mother was very ill, and we I, that book was written largely sitting in a chair in a hallway in a hospital, um, you know, surrounded by people that were had a great deal of anxiety and fear. And I felt I felt good to be able to you know to the degree that I'm able to sort of send out the counter vibrations for it. Now, how you just talked about how you were in the hospital. Um, in the hallway, in a chair writing, how did you drown out other things so that you could focus on what you were doing? Um, that, that gets back to what we were talking about, uh, our mind and our tolerance for the mind doing its own thing. I have been, uh, I've been meditating for many, many years, regular daily meditation for many, many years. 
And that process has taught me how to focus my mind. And it, to the, you know, for the most part, <laughs> does what I do. It has its moods occasionally. But for the most part, my mind does what I tell it to do and focuses on the things that I tell it to focus on in exactly the same way as my hand goes mm -hmm. and grabs the pencil when I tell it to do that. So from that perspective, I'm able to just sort of tune out things. I, I'm not so far uh, along that I can have radios blaring and music playing and TV going and still write at the same time. But uh, in that situation, I was able to tune it out. So when you start writing a book and you get the idea in your head about the book, mm -hmm. do you set a timeline, a deadline of when you're going to finish the book? Or do you kind of say, I'm going to write so many words a day, not even really sure? Do you start mm -hmm. with an outline? No, I, I, as I say, I, I, the outline comes from just in a very organic way, just from me collecting all this thing. I don't start and make an outline. The outline sort of says, oh, so that's the outline of this book. Um, and so, but then I just sit down and usually I give myself a time period, as I say, three or four weeks, and then I'll just focus on it every day. Um, and, but I don't set a word count on a daily basis when I'm writing. Uh, sometimes you get interrupted by important things, and so the next day you just do a little bit more. But generally, I find once all the material is collected in that method that I explained to you, uh, three weeks a month is usually what it takes me to get it into the form that I can then hand to an editor, and they can uh, they can start you know tweaking and copy editing and all the rest of that, and then we turn it into a book. So let's talk about when you get it to an editor. Are there points in the book where you're like, no, I'm going to fight for this. I'm not taking it out. Has there been some times when they say you need to take this out or this out or this story out? And you're like, no, I'm going to keep it in. I've not encountered that, uh, that, that kind of um, um, resistance before. Um, I'm not sure why. But, uh, you know, I, I've, had, uh, I've had editors ask me to, you know, maybe you shouldn't, you know, name names in this story. Uh, <laughs> you know, maybe you want to change the names to protect the innocent and or the guilty or whatever. Uh, but that's about the extent of, of editing that I've encountered in that process. So what is up next for you? You have your two books, you have your Facebook uh -huh. group, you have... The iFearless website. What else is up next for you? Well, I'm so glad. Uh, I'm I'm really looking forward to COVID being over because just before it started, I was just ramping up my live workshops mm -hmm. because this process, this technique that I teach, uh, works very very well for people in a live workshop situation. You know, two or three hours of an evening. I can walk people through the process in the center part of the process because there's a three-step process. The first step is to prepare your mind to be to believe that this is possible. Mm -hmm. The middle step is to actually do the mental reset, hit the reset button so that I can actually experience what it feels like to be worry-free. And then the third step is those new habits that we talked about. And that middle step is we actually, in the live workshop, use a guided visualization. So people are in the workshop and they close their eyes and I take them through a process and, and they actually can experience what it feels like to be totally worry-free. And they think, whoa, I want that. And that motivates them to go through those things. So I'm very much looking forward to getting back to live workshops. Um, I am also ramping up for a... Um, uh, a membership group, uh, and this would be a, a private group where, where members would come and I would coach them, you know, as, as a group, I would coach them along, and that's coming in the next, probably within the next, uh, this summer, I would, I would mm -hmm. say. But I'm also uh, in the process of the file is getting filled up for my next book, and the next book is all about understanding uh, our various exposure to what we what we perceive as risk and danger, and and it's going to be a collection of stories that of people who have faced their fears and overcome it, and gone on to you know mm -hmm. to 
you know, the face your fear. And the title, I've already got the title for that book. And the title is going to be your prayer, your parachute can't open until after you've jumped out of the plane. I love that. Yeah. And you, and you get the idea, you know, I have to take this leap of faith and trust that this is going to work or else I'm just stuck where I am. And that's the thing about fear. Tony Robbins, he says, uh, the biggest obstacle to people living the lives that they say they want to live or that they dream about is fear and anxiety and, and worry. So I'm here. My entire role in life is to open that gate for people because we're held back by that barrier now, that gate. And just to show them you get to open it and then boom, knock yourself yeah. out. Whatever you want to do, you can do, you can have, you can become. Uh, and don't tell me, uh, you know, I'm too old to try that. I'm the guy that's starting, I'm turning 67 next week for heaven's sake. And uh, I'm just get, I'm just getting rolling here. And uh, uh, so don't give me any excuses. The only excuse is mm -hmm. that I'm afraid to. Well, let me show you how to get rid of that fear. And then, wow, off you go. Yeah. I love how you were talking about the, the parachute and, and you have to open it up after you jump out of the plane because mm -hmm. it brought me back a memory of mine. I am definitely afraid of heights. I mean, you yeah. take that for heights. And I was offered to offered an opportunity to go um, zip lining. And I was like, no, uh -huh. I'm not going to do it. I'm not. And yeah. I went back and forth, back and forth. And finally, I just said, you know, I'm going to do it, but I'm not going to tell anybody, but my immediate family that I'm doing it. Mm -hmm. And I went with a friend of mine, that first ledge, you know, you're so far high up the ground. Yeah. And I was like, I can't do this. I was shaking. And my friend looked at me and said, yes, you can. And she said, just close your eyes and jump. And uh -huh. I was like, okay, God, this is how I'm going to die. Let me die quietly. And I just closed my eyes and jumped. And uh -huh. it was that first jump. Once I got past that first jump, I was like, oh, I can do this, but I'm yeah. not going to do it again. Yeah. But I did but, it. I can say uh, hey, I ziplined. And, and now you're proud of it. Yep. And, not, and this is really interesting because when people come to me with a great deal of anxiety and worry, their self-confidence is very low. Their self-esteem is very, very low. And so they're, they don't trust themselves to do things. And one of the very first exercises that we go through is I ask people to go back and remember five things that you did before you turned 18 that you were really proud of. And this is a very interesting exercise. And it could be, you know, something that you, maybe you stood up in front of the class and read a poem that you wrote. Maybe you got a ribbon at, in field day or, you know, in some athletic thing. Maybe you got a merit badge in Girl Guides or Boy Scouts or whatever it was, it doesn't matter. But to remember five things before you were 18 that you really, really were proud of in that moment. They might be small, you know, looking backwards, but then they were really smart. You'd be amazed how many people really have to really struggle to think of that. I had one woman in, in one of my workshops and she came in and she said, my mother's a worrier, my aunts are worriers, my sisters are worriers, everybody around me is worried. You know, I dare you to help me stop worrying. <laughs> uh, so we went through this exercise. She could not remember a single thing before she was 18 that she had done that she felt good of that was an accomplishment or a victory or something she was proud of. Well, I coached her a little bit and she suddenly she remembered when she was in high school, she was a competitive swimmer and she loved swimming. And she, she remembered competing in a, in a tournament and winning a medal. And the look on her face when she remembered that it was totally transformational. And then she remembered something else. And then she remembered something else. And what happens, you realize, I'm still that same person. Mm -hmm. Because then we say, all right, now, five things when you were first in college or your first job. Five things when you were in your late 20s. Five things when you were a new parent. Five things. And then we take five things last mm -hmm. week that you did. And this is building up that habit of focusing on the cool stuff, the great things. And so what happens is you, your self-esteem gets built up and your self-esteem says, I trust myself. And then that gets translated into self-confidence, which says, yeah, I can handle this. Zip lining, jumping out of a plane or speaking to a stranger. I can, 
I can do this. For myself, it was interesting, you, you with Scared of Heights, and I told you about finances, my worst fear was running out of money. And that's exactly what happened. And so my worst fear came true. And in the moment, it was horrible. But the, in, in retrospect, it was the second best thing that ever happened to me. First best thing was my wife, Gail. But and the, she, wasn't, she, she wasn't around at that time. She, was, she arrived on the scene later. But um, no, it was, you know, it was an amazing experience because what happened is I realized I didn't die. Mm -hmm. And not only that, I learned some stuff. And I realized that I have a resilience. I realized that I have a strength and a, um, a creative streak that I can take this on and survive and grow from it. So yeah, these, all these things, that, that self-esteem, self-confidence, once you've got those, man, you can go so far. Yeah, so true. Now our time is almost up. Is there one mm -hmm. little nugget that you wanna leave people with? Oh yes, the, the, the thing that I would love people to understand more than anything else is that it is entirely possible for you to get worry and anxiety out of your life completely, not just, temporarily you know with covid we've been hearing about uh you know drink some chamomile tea go for a long walk breathe deeply uh get a weighted blanket that just deals with the symptoms because after covid's gone something else will come along that we're supposed to worry about too i want you to understand that no matter what it is it is entirely possible worry and anxiety are entirely optional it is a choice that you make May not feel like a choice, but that's only because it's become a habit. But I assure you, it is a choice and you can make a whole set of different choices. That's the nugget that I'd like to leave people with to understand that. And if they don't believe them or don't believe me, join the Facebook group. You know, come on, get the book and, and I'll show you how to do that. So that brings me to the next question. Where can people find you at? They can get in touch with me on the website, which is www.i-fearless.com. They can get that through the uh, Facebook group, which is the Fearless Living and Growth Society. They can, those are the, I don't want to confuse everybody, those two places, those are by far the best. They can get in touch directly with me and I will promise that I get back to anybody that reaches out to me. And your books? There is the First book is Unsubscribe from Anxiety, available on Amazon. Actually, anywhere you buy books, you can get that. And the next one is The Fearless Decision. And this one, when you if you join the uh, the Facebook group, you get a free a free ebook copy of that. David, I want to thank you so much for joining us today and talking about anxiety and worry and fear and self doubt because I think that's the number one thing that most everybody in the world suffers from today. Yeah, it really is. Thank you so much for having me on your show. I really enjoyed chatting with you. And as you can tell, I'm a little bit <laughs> excited about talking about this subject. Totally, totally, totally mm -hmm. would love to have you back on once you write the next book. And once you all start right. launching all the workshops, I would love to have you back on this I to would... see how, what a difference you're making in people's lives. Thank you, Melissa. I'm just thrilled to be there anytime you want. All right, guys, we will see you on the next chat from the Block Cabin. Bye. Chats from the Blog Cabin. We not only have voices for a podcast, but also faces for YouTube. Don't miss your next episode.